Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, and alongside me is Eric Lopez. We're sorry about the week off we took last week, but pretty much everybody took the week off in the middle of the week last week, Eric, with the storm blowing through. Everything got thrown off. Uh, we had volleyball playing a match out in Tampa. We had football ske- scheduled for Friday night that got canceled or postponed. We're going to hit up all that in a little bit, but... Uh, How'd you make out in the storm? Okay. Yeah, doing all right. Uh, just an unexpected bye week uh, for everybody. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Well, we made out okay here over here as well. Thank goodness. But uh, I know that we have a lot of friends out there on the coast who didn't make out as as well as we did. So our thoughts are uh, with you guys as the cleanup continues. And, uh, and we hope all the UCF fans out there listening uh, out there who may be dealing with some of the after effects of uh, Hurricane Matthew – uh, we wish you guys a very speedy recovery and hope that everything works out okay. So, uh, so we've got well, like Eric said, let's uh, we've got a lot on our plate. So we're going to talk about football getting the week off and the unexpected bye week and what we think that's going to do for UCF going forward. Starting with the game against Temple, homecoming this Saturday, a big homecoming game it is at Bright House Network Stadium, and then a little bit later on, we've got some soccer news and some volleyball to go over as well with the RPIs coming out, Eric. Oh, that's the fun part. The RPI comes out. Where is the team's kind of position, and what does it mean moving forward? Yeah, so we're going to get to that in a little bit. But first, let's talk about, uh, well, the elephant in the room, which was the storm that blew through. Uh, Recap of the events that happened. Of course, UCF was supposed to play – Tulane on Friday night. It was supposed to be a nationally televised game. Uh, and then Hurricane Matthew blew through. And uh, things were a little touch and go there for a little bit. But finally, on uh, it was, uh, I believe it was, was it Wednesday, Eric? Yeah. Um, UCF made the call uh, to postpone the game, which was a smart move because it just so worked out that UCF and Tulane have the same week off uh, later on next month, uh, November the 5th, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a pretty easy call because, um, first of all, you know, at the time we didn't know. Uh, turns out that the storm wasn't too bad over here in this part of central Florida inland. We're about 40 miles inland. But um, at the time we weren't sure whether or not the eye of the storm would be traveling you know, right over the top of the school. So, uh, it, and it, and it, you know, we were lucky. It stayed off on the coast, far away from campus. Of course, it's easy for us to say that over here, not so much if you're on the coast. But um, nonetheless, proper precautions taken, and the game was moved to November. We're, um, th- they played this right, didn't they, Eric? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's an easy decision. I mean, there's no need to kind of, take you know, figure this out. I mean, you both had the same bye week. Uh, so why not just go ahead and take it and Hey, we'll see you in November. I, I, it's the proper move. I was more impressed with how volleyball, for example, cause it's not just affected football. Yeah. Volleyball, uh, had two scheduled home matches, one against Houston, one against Tulane, ironically enough. Yeah. <laughs> and they had to, originally they were going to move both of those matches to Tampa. USF was actually nice to let UCF play their whole quote match against Houston in Tampa. Houston, uh, UCF won that comfortably in three sets and they were going to play Tulane the following Saturday, the, the, the next day on Saturday, 
in Tampa. But once the storm kind of went the way it did, uh, they decided UCF and Tulane agreed to just go back to Orlando and play at the venue on Sunday, which was not the original schedule. Originally, UCF was going to play Tulane on Saturday night at the venue. So I, so both – it's funny. Tulane and UCF actually worked together on multiple sports this uh, this past weekend, and I thought uh, by all – did everything correctly. Yeah, I, I thought that the way they handled volleyball was the right thing to do. Um, and, and we'll go into more in-depth as to how that weekend went a little bit later on in the podcast. But suffice it to say – Hell of a coaching job by Todd Dagenay getting the win in that match at USF uh, against uh, against Houston. And although they came up short against Tulane, um, it was a it was a strange week. And, and that's and that's when it really does fall on the coaches um, to keep your team focused despite all the craziness that's going on. And are you worried about, you know, is the dorm room going to get flooded? You know, how's my family going to be and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they were able to do it. So one unusual thing that happened, though, was that the university officially closed as of Wednesday at 5 p.m. But they went ahead and they played the men's soccer game that night. Now, that I thought was against Northwestern. I, I, I thought that was a little bit unusual, but... They made the exception because Northwestern had already traveled down there, and they were going to fly out in time to beat the storm. So, um, right, it's important. That was a Wednesday night. The storm was not projected to start till the following day. That very Thursday, early Thursday I, morning, right? Right, maybe some or there Friday maybe morning, I should say. Friday morning would have been the worst part. Thursday night would have picked up a little bit. So they had a little wiggle room there to kind of get that in there, and you know. Westman is already here, so I think that was – I think both sides just kind of agreed on that, and they played, and that was a big one for UCF on that front. So I thought it was very good communication by UCF on, with all the parties, men's soccer you mentioned, the volleyball, the football, and and I like the fact that they had multiple options. They had multiple plans I, I with volleyball, and uh, I think UCF and Tulane, you know, well, you know, I think with the football, that was an easy decision. I mean, that was a bye week. There's no need to try to, why, why bother forcing it on a Saturday or Sunday when you don't know what the conditions will be like. So you, yeah, you might as well move it to uh, November 5th. And I think a point that has to be made that people forget, there are uh, ticket holders, I'm sure that travel all over the place to go to the gate, whether it be the coastlines as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, let them deal with what they ever, whatever they have to deal with, you know, because, you know, in certain situations, even if you weren't hit hard, you probably have some property damage or whatever. And, uh, hey, you know what? You don't miss a home game. You get to still take that game in uh, later in the year. So uh, I thought it was well handled by everybody. And I think if we saw with the Florida LSU fiasco, communication is oh, very yeah. important. Being open minded is very important to uh, something that LSU and Florida certainly LSU and Florida could take some notes from their uh, brethren's uh, UCF and Tulane in, the, in that matter. Well, let's talk about the UCF schedule too, because now it kind of shakes out rather interesting. It, it used it the way the schedule had worked out was UCF would have had their bye week relatively late, pri- and just before the last three games of the season, which are home for Cincinnati, home for Tulsa, and then at USF. Now that the Tulane game gets moved to Saturday, November 5th, and by the way, it will still be televised on ESPNU, at least that's what the um, UCF website is showing, the Knights now play seven consecutive games um, 
at, it, it, to finish out the season because they basically had this unplanned bye week. Now, the Knights were pretty beat up, or would have been at least, heading into this two-lane game had it happened. Um, it's As it is, they're playing Temple on this Saturday, October 15th at 7.30, uh, ESPNU is televising the game better than Ezra, by the way, the uh, pregame concert. That's right. And then uh, it's two road games at UConn, at Houston. That's not going to be easy. Then you come back home. This I thought was, th- this may work out for UCF in the long run. You come back home for three consecutive home conference games. Tulane, Cincinnati, Tulsa. Before you finish up the regular season on the road at USF. So my question to you is, do you think that this is an advantage for UCF or a disadvantage? Well, I don't think it's a disadvantage. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily an advantage either. I, I It is what it is. Look, UCF got a home game. You mentioned that schedule. You realize they don't get on a plane after October 29th. I mean, they don't get on a yeah. plane. I mean, every game will be in the state with all those home games you mentioned and then a bus trip to USF. So uh, I think they already had a very easy, nice schedule laid out in November, and I think this doesn't hurt it. Uh, so that's why I'm not too – you know, some people get all caught up in about the bye week and concerned about it. I think coaches are smart enough to take it – to do what you got to do with those bye weeks. I think this team was banged up, in particular at the quarterback position with Mackenzie Milton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily that the bye week comes now. Plus, you know, I would feel differently if this, let's say this was a road game for UCF, if they had to travel to Tulane or something like that, and now all of a sudden this got moved to November 5th, then I would caution maybe more of a disadvantage because now you're getting back on another road trip. And now you would have had, uh, hypothetically, three straight road games. That might have been tough. But the fact that it's a home game against, let's, uh, you know, with all due respect to Tulane, not one of the top teams in the conference, uh, I, I think it's fine. And I think uh, I think it serves UCF well, and I think they'll be fine with it. So let's chat about this t- this uh, Temple game, the homecoming game. Temple comes in obviously um, last year's uh, East Division champs, lost to Houston in the American Championship game. Right now they're kind of scuffling a little bit. They're three and three overall, one and one in the league, and coming off of a loss at Memphis on October the sixth. A tight loss, too. They lost uh, by seven points at that in that game. Knights obviously coming off the unplanned bye week uh, at 3-2, and 1-0 in the league. Uh, Temple has defeated uh, SMU in conference. Um, they, lost another, they also lost uh, some close games, uh, or one close game against Penn State um, in uh, September. Uh, wins against Charlotte and Stony Brooks, but those are, those are cupcake victories. Um, but they're in a very vulnerable position right now, I think, Elo. P.J. Walker, who we are intimately familiar with uh, going back to his freshman year. Hard to believe that his freshman year game against UCF was, the, um, was, the, was that spectacular game up in Philadelphia with the J.J. Wharton catch. And we just did not have an answer for him in that game. He was truly spectacular. Uh, he sh- uh, showed himself again last year in Temple's victory. Um, this year at home for the Knights... Uh, we get our finally at long last. We get to rid ourselves of this guy, but uh, their offense has been pretty good so far this season. I think Eric thirty three points a game, three hundred and eighty total yards, including two forty per game through the air. 
Um, but the defense has been highly suspect at times, giving up 23 points and 320 yards a game. Uh, is this a bit of a trap, though, for UCF? Could they get tripped up by this Temple team with the senior quarterback? No, I don't think so. I mean, you mentioned, first of all, the Temple defense struggling. It's not a surprise. They lost a lot of personnel on the defensive side from last year's team, which was arguably the top defense in the conference with the top linebacker and so forth. So I think the drop-off on the defensive side was to be expected. And, you know, to, you know Temple's got a good running back who killed UCF last year, uh, Thomas. So I, I think that's really where the Temple offense comes from. Walker has never lived up to that height from that UCF game in 2013. I, I think he's been erratic. He's up and down. I think his last game against Memphis was an illustration of that. Uh, turnovers was a key an issue with him. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think this is any sort of a trap. In fact, I know Scott Frost has the utmost respect for Temple and says, hey, they are the American Conference Eastern Division champions, and we're going to treat them that way. Uh, Temple's a good team. Um, you know, they were division champions last year for a reason. Uh, I think Coach Rule does a great job. They've got some really talented players. Uh, I'm really impressed with with their defense. They're, they're sound. Um, they're aggressive. They run to the ball really well, too. Um, you know, their quarterback is a guy that can beat you a lot of different ways. I think they've got several guys in the backfield that can hit a big play on you, and they do a good job blocking for them. So, uh, you can you can recognize the really well coached teams right away, and um, you know we're approaching this game like we're we're playing the division champions. Um, those guys are coming up in here and and they're defend, defending uh, champions of our half, so uh, we're we're excited and ready to play. Yeah, I don't blame him. And I love the fact that he gave uh, Matt Rule a little shout out because let's face it, Matt Rule has just done a fabulous job at Temple. It's it's easy for us to forget that. This was a team that got kicked out of the Big East <laughs> for basically not being good enough at anything and um, and has gotten this club, this Temple program to uh, – initially they were, they were in the MAC for a little while, and then they came back to the American. Um, and, you know, it's not their fault that people aren't paying attention to them in Philadelphia. They won the division last year. Uh, and Matt Rule is uh, is one hell of a head coach. I'm actually, quite frankly, surprised he stayed at Temple this long. Here's Matt Rule talking about UCF. Coach Frost is, is a guy who's been a part of some great offenses at, at Oregon and at Nebraska. And, you know, they present a ton of problems with you in terms of they've got tremendous team speed. They run the ball. They find a way to run the ball 40 to 50 times a game. They're really well coached up front. They've got a bunch of playmakers at receivers. You know, uh, Traquan Smith was the... AAC Rookie of the Year last year, and he's he's having a great year. And then defensively, they you know they have uh, Pittman and uh, you know, some other guys inside, you know, that are just really really hard to defend. Tristan Hill, they uh, they are they are really really good up front. So they've lost you know they lost to Michigan at Michigan, they lost to Maryland in overtime. So they're just a couple of plays away from being a four or five win team. Yeah, so I think that this game might be a little bit more even than people are willing to let on, although UCF is a four-point favorite as of this recording, the over-under right now at 53. So Vegas is expecting um, a fairly high-scoring game. Um, interesting point about the Knights I wanted to point out with the offense here, Eric. Check this out. Total yards a game right now. The Knights are averaging 35 points and 425 total yards a game. But it's been the run game that has kept you that has really been the bread and butter for UCF 
233 rush yards per game compared to about 192 passing yards per game. Now, part of that goes back to the bad performance against Michigan. Uh, and then also, you know, uh, in the previous game for UCF, they did, the passing game wasn't all that good uh, against East Carolina. But Mackenzie Milton, um, supposedly we're expecting him to be back in time for Saturday. Do you think that the passing game uh, steps back up with him at the helm? Yes, I do. I mean, I think it's now been clear that with, uh, you know, McMilton, they're a much, it's a much smoother run offense, much more fit than it is with Justin Holman. Justin has struggled this season with his accuracy. He has, and for whatever reason, has struggled just fitting into this offense. So, yeah, I think there's a, a drastic difference there, and I think it'll help the passing game. But I'm not surprised that the running game is – uh, taken fruition. I mean, I, I, you know, when Scott Frost arrived here, I told everybody this team was going to run the football and probably run it more than passing, to be honest. Uh, and they've had uh, a really improved offensive line as far as run blocking. I think the upgrade in talent from the backfield has helped in that. Let's not, I mean, you talk about the biggest improvement from a talent standpoint on this roster from last year to this year, without question, Jeff, has to be in the backfield. Yeah, and taking a look at the you know team stats so far um, this season, when you look at the rushing, now Don Travius Wilson leads the team with 279 total yards on 61 carries. That's 4.6 a game, I and mean, he's got seven touchdowns, 4.6 per carry. So he's been the workhorse. And then you kind of have, if he's thunder, then lightning's got to be obviously Adrian Killens, who's averaging, get this, Eric, 11 and a half yards a carry. Yep. <laughs> 22 carries for 254 yards. Um, and Juwan Hamilton, the hammer, has kind of been a good uh, a good version uh, or, or spelled Dontravius Wilson quite well. He's got 227 yards uh, on 59 carries this year. That's 3.8 a carry. So between those three guys, that's over 700 yards rushing so far and 10 touchdowns, uh, which is already a significant amount more than uh, last year's rushing touchdown total, which I think was six. So, you know, the, the running game has been good. You mentioned Justin Holman, who's been struggling, and he really has. He's only 28 of 68 on the season passing. That's 41%. Mackenzie Milton is at 58% on 29 of 50. So, um, you know, at, at least right now, we know that you're going to get a more balanced attack if Milton is back there, assuming that uh, he's going to be healthy. What do you think is going to be the key, though, to this game for UCF? Uh, against Temple. Is it going to be keeping Walker off the field with the run game, or is it going to be getting into a shootout with them? Well, I think it's the defense, to be honest. I think it's the defense and being able to slow down Temple's running game and their backs and making Walker uh, stay in the pocket and beat him with his accuracy. That's what it's going to come down to. I mean, this defense has played at a very high level, forced some turnovers, and I'll be curious to see how they play against this Temple offense and put Walker in a very uncomfortable situations and force the turnover. I think that's going to be the key in this game. Uh, I think both sides will move the football, but at the end, I, I do think UCF being at home and with the way this defense has played to this point this season, I think is the better defense. And that's why I'm more confident in UCF in this situation than Temple. Uh, even though you could say that Temple is certainly a more desperate team right now with the loss to Memphis in conference, they can't really afford in my opinion, to have a second conference loss because I think that pretty much knocks them out of the Eastern Division. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, I just, to me, I think Walker is so erratic that I think UCF will kind of create some problems for him. And I think that'll be the key. Uh, now can Walker turn back the clock to that freshman year and go full circle and, and give UCF fits with his legs in particular? That's going to be, to me, the story of this football game. Yeah, Walker this season, although he's had some big hitters, uh, he is um... – yeah, here's his numbers right here. He is hitting for 7.61 yards per attempt, which is uh, relatively high. He's uh, He's got a under one touchdown interception ratio, eight touchdowns to nine picks. So Not well, good. That's, that's not, not good, good Jeff. Yeah. Nine interceptions, and we saw in the East Carolina game UCF forcing turnovers, and that's been Walker's problem. And I think if you're UCF, again, you're gonna, you want to force those ill-advised passes, and I think the key is to keep them in the pocket. Don't make them a – you know, both run and pass dimensional. That's where he gave UCF trouble in the past uh, when UCF's had success against them. Even last year, as bad as last year was, I don't know if people remember, UCF was right there in the fourth quarter against Temple. They could have right. won that game last year, and that was Temple's the, the winning the division title. So, and part of it was because Walker struggled, but it was Temple's running game and their running backs out of the backfield catching passes that gave UCF all the problems. That's what UCF's going to have to control. Yeah, so far this year, you know, you mentioned Jahad Thomas, the um, yeah. the Stud running back kit. for Temple. 237 yards this year on 58 carries, but that's actually second on the team behind Ryquell Armstead, who has one yeah. fewer carry but more yards, almost uh, 90 more yards than Jahad Thomas does. He's at 325 They've combined so far for 13 rushing touchdowns this year. And the other thing, too, Thomas, uh, once again, you mentioned uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. Thomas also has 15 catches for 218 yards uh, and a pair of touchdowns. So if you put the rushing and the passing together, he's been, uh, he's been quite the dual threat. Armstead, not that much of a pass catcher. But, um, but, you know, like we said, Walker, a little bit vulnerable. You hope that this is not the game where he catches lightning in a bottle once again. Um, but yeah, that may be the situation. Uh, at least I'm hoping not. We've seen it before. I, I, I swear, I think we still have PTSD from that game um, in Philadelphia uh, four years ago uh, and the heart palpitations that he gave us from that game. So, I don't know. Like I said, UCF is favored by four. You think that's a fair line at yes, home? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's a fair number because I think you kind of are still on a wait and see about these two te- uh, this team. As much as UCF's played better, keep in mind they did lose to Maryland in overtime. Maryland just got blown out by Penn State. Penn State's a team that beat Temple by a touchdown. So you mm-hmm. don't really know, you know, where these teams stacked. And but yeah, I think UCF being favored at home is is, is fair. Um, but again, I cannot. Uh, I think those two backs being able to control them is going to be key for UCF and make Walker beat you with his arm, not his legs. Will be pivotal. I, I don't think Temple wants to be in a shootout with UCF. To be honest with you. I think Temple would rather control the tempo, control the clock, and wear down the UCF defense and keep UCF's offense off the field, or more specifically, Temple's defense fresh. I I think the more possessions in this game, I think, favors UCF, to be honest with you. I I don't think Temple wants to get into a game where both sides, you know, the the UCF's on the field for 80, 90 plays. Yeah. Uh, I think that's to Temple's uh, detriment. And so I, I think though, look for Temple to try to establish tempo by running the football and trying to be physical against UCF defensive line and try to control the tempo of the, this game, whereas UCF will do what they're going to try to do, and that's speed up and go fast and get 
Temple off balance and attack them between the on the edges. And I think that's going to be fascinating uh, to see the adjustments play out in both sides. And certainly uh, that's why, again, I think Milton playing will be a factor in this game because there's more things that Frost can do with Mackenzie Milton in this offense that he can do instead of Justin Holman. The other thing, too, is it's high time to take a look at the standings, too, in the American. It's never too soon to do that. But right now, UCF and is undefeated in conference. It's just 1-0, obviously. But, um, but so far, no losses in the column in conference. 1-0. USF's 2-0 at the top of the East Division. Temple's 1-1. Uh, UConn 1-2. East Carolina 0-2. Cincinnati, Cincinnati 0-3 in the league. Unbelievable. Um, Temple, by the way, all three of their wins at home. Haven't won a road game yet this year. UCF at home, one and one. Um, over in the West, I think that this is, this, shaping, this is shaping up really interesting because you have four teams uh, with overall records that have just one loss. Navy, Memphis, Tulsa, and Houston. Uh, all of them except Houston are four and one. Houston's five and one. Um, but Houston right now, two and one. That loss to Navy looms large because the midshipmen are three and zero oh in the league. Memphis and Tulsa 1-0 in the league as we dive into conference play. Tulane and SMU bringing up the rear, uh, winless in conference. So um, we got to pay more attention to the uh, conference standings now, don't we, Eric? Because as teams get by weeks, um, as we're now you know fully into the meat of league play, um, things are going to start to uh, shape up in the conference. And you know if, US, if USF in the East is going to continue to um, look as good as they have so far in conference. Um, this could shape out to be something interesting uh, as we head t- towards Thanksgiving weekend, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the narrative has changed in this conference. Right now, Houston's behind behind the eight ball. Uh, Houston needs some help to win on the Western side. I think we all just assume, a lot of people did, that Houston would win the West and host the conference championship game. But now they're in danger of losing that division. Navy has the tiebreaker over Houston. Now, Navy's got a lot of tough games still to go. Navy has to come to play USF and Tampa, as a matter of fact. They still got to play Tulsa, Memphis. I mean, so there's a lot of football to be played, and Houston could certainly come back and win this division. I think I even read where if it's a three-team tiebreaker between, let's let's say, for example, it's Houston, Memphis, and Navy. Let's say Memphis beat Navy. And then Houston beat Memphis, and they all end up with the same record conference-wise. Well, then Houston more than likely will win the tiebreaker based on higher ranking. Uh, so that's those are a couple of the scenarios that Houston's going to need. They're, plus, they're going to have to win out. Um, so that's going to be a factor. But because of that, the the other factor now is that the Eastern Division champion, whoever that is, possibly could host the conference championship game. For example, let's say South Florida wins the East and you have a better record than Houston or Navy or whoever, you get to host the championship game. And if you're UCF, if you, this is why this Temple-UCF game is big uh, from that standpoint because I, I think East Carolina and I think Connecticut and definitely Cincinnati are out of the race in the East, in my opinion. Yeah, I just two don't losses, think, they're, they're all out. In my opinion, yeah. I don't believe any of those teams can win the division. So to me, I think right now we're down to three teams – for that Eastern division with South Florida, UCF and Temple Temple's already got a loss. Temple's got a loss against Memphis on the road. Temple still got to host USF by the way. So what you're saying is that, is that UCF can effectively knock Temple out too this week. In my, yes, because think about this. 
this. If UCF were to beat Temple, now Temple's got two conference losses and they lose the tiebreaker to UCF head-to-head. So that, I think, would knock him out. And if you UCF, if you look at the rest of the schedule, yes, you have to go to Houston. That's the unfortunate part from a UCF standpoint, where South Florida, for example, does not have to go to Houston. But if you can somehow, Cincinnati is, is, is free-falling right now. They're a mess. Tulsa, I think, is a very good team. UCF's get, but they get them at home. You get Tulane at home. You go to UConn. If UCF can kind of go through this conference with, let's say, one loss going into Tampa, guess what? You're, pl- you're probably going to be playing for a shot at the conference title. Yeah. As, uh, as mind-boggling as that statement might be, it could come down to that. And, you know, depending on the situation, you might try to put yourself in a position to host the conference title game. Uh, stranger things have happened. UCF fans remember back in 2005, when UCF, everybody just assumed UCF would probably, if they won the division, was going to go to UTEP to play uh, Carson Palmer's brother and um, Mike Price in the UTEP minors. Well, UTEP fell apart and lost. And it ended up being that Tulsa won that side of the division in Conference USA. This was the, the uh, inaugural year of Conference USA mm-hmm. as far as with the conference title game. And in the last week of the season, UCF clinched the East Division, winning at Rice. And Tulsa came back to win the division over UTEP, and UCF got to host the game because they had the better record. Now they lost lost. the game, yeah. But you still got to host the title game in front of 50,000 of your fans. So my point is, uh, you never know now with this Houston loss, things could kind of, you never know what could happen. And so, you know, that's, that's why this game with Temple is fascinating to me because I think we'll... I think at the end of this night, we'll kind of have an idea. Hey, either UCF's got a, hey, we got a shot here to maybe be a contender and a division here and challenge South Florida or Temple wins and they get themselves back in it. And for UCF, you kind of regroup. And now you all of a sudden you got to head on the road for UConn uh, against the team that you, that's had your number the last couple of years. So it's a fascinating game that could swing this season one way or the other for both sides. Yeah, the four games in conference that are on the slate this uh, this week, in addition to UCF, you got Memphis and Tulane on Friday night, and uh, that game's on ESPNU. UConn is at USF, uh, and that game's on CBS Sports Network. That's at 7 on Saturday. And then also Tulsa goes to Houston on ESPN2 at 7 p.m. Uh, uh, on uh on the conference slate, in addition to UCF and Temple, which will be on ESPNU. Homecoming at UCF, 7.30 kick. Don't forget the Better Than Ezra concert uh, as well before um, the game. And with the first, boy, all of a sudden, it's the first home football game in a while for UCF. Uh, the last home date that we had was, uh, Maryland. was the Maryland game, September the 17th, and it's October 13th now. So almost a full month uh, between home dates for uh, UCF, and then uh, they don't get another home date until November the 5th, which is the postponed game against Tulane. So this ends up being the only home game in the entire month of October for UCF, a stretch of four out of five on the road, um, with the middle game sandwiched in between being this one against Temple. So um, key for UCF fans to come on out to that one, because it's going to be a while before we see the Knights at home uh, again after the postponed week. All right. Stick around. We've got plenty more coming up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're going to talk about some volleyball uh, coming off of a split in a strange week uh, because of the storm. We're also going to talk about some RPI with uh, women's soccer 
uh, men's soccer and volleyball as well. Don't go away. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast continues after this. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Figley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thank you, Trace, and thank you, Andrew, Jeff, Sharon, and Eric Lopez with you once again here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Let's switch gears and talk about some of the other sports going on at UCF, and uh, it's a big week, Eric. It's like Christmas in October. The RPIs are out. Hey, yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, surprisingly, as some might be surprised with this comment, I mean, it's it's we're, we're getting towards the second half of the year in both soccer and volleyball, and... Now people start kind of studying the RPIs and see where they stand and what they might need to do. You know, soccer's only down to a few weeks left in the season. Volleyball, more about a month. But, you know, now each match has an extra kind of uh, implications to it and then trying to see uh, how many teams we can get into postseason uh, for the fall sports. All right, so let's start with volleyball. Now, although you talk about, oh, my God, the RPIs, right? Well, here's why this is important is in the in most of the Olympic sports, as they call them, the RPI is the single most accurate indicator of whether or not you're going to get into the NCAA tournament in whichever sport you're in. Um, in and this is particularly important in the American because there's no conference tournament in volleyball. All right? So Todd Dagenet has told me this many times that you know, you can almost draw a line at about 64, 65. And that's the, those are the teams that are going to get into the tournament. So the first RPI is out for NCAA Women's Volleyball in Division One. UCF right now is 80th, 8-0, 80. Here are the teams that the Knights trail in the RPI from the American. Tulane, who they lost to on Sunday at home, is at 78. UConn is at 65. Tulsa is at 57. SMU is at 55. Cincinnati, 49. Temple, 48. Um, that's big. Did I, I think, did, I, did I mention UConn? I thought I saw UConn in there. UConn's at 65, right. So big road weekend coming up for UCF Volleyball because they go to Temple and to UConn, two teams that are above them in the RPI. If they can get, two, if they can get one road win or even two, uh, that would be a big boost for the Knights because, like you said, it's all about you know RPI is a progressive thing through the through the season and it's all and it all depends on strength of schedule. So, um, the way place UCF that is in right now, especially after the loss to Tulane, that's a pretty you know that's a pretty hurtful loss because Tulane is two spots ahead of them in the RPI. The Knights right now fourteen and five, uh, ten and three at home. By the way. Uh, but now heading on the road where they are one and two on the season, um, it's uh, it, it was they got the split in a very unusual situation where because of the storm they originally scheduled to play um, their match against Houston at home on uh, Friday afternoon actually at four p.m. was the originally scheduled time. Storm comes in. Uh, 
match gets actually I initially I thought it was going to be just postponed. They moved it to Tampa and got to give props to the uh, folks at USF for helping us out uh, over at the Corral for that match. So the Knights go over to Tampa, sweep Houston in three sets. Um, it was a big match uh, in particular for uh, Jayla Hervey, once again, who she's going to be first team all conference this year. Uh, 11 kills led the team. Kia Bright had eight uh, as well. And Taylor Wickey had four blocks in that match uh, as well. So that was a huge, so, so that was a huge win going on the road, basically, you know, under the psychological situation of this storm bearing down on everybody the next, th- that day. And they get the win uh, and t- in Tampa. Then the weather was good enough where they were able to come back and play Tulane, like you said, Eric, uh, on Sunday uh, in an afternoon match. You come back home, and you think, okay, we're in good shape. Well, Tulane came in and they were really good, uh, beating UCF in three. Uh, and it really wasn't even all that close. I mean, I thought the Tulane, I was there for that match. Obviously, I do PA for uh, UCF, full disclosure. But Sarah Ray for Tulane was fantastic. She had 15 kills. I'm surprised it was that few. I thought she had 20 on the day. Jayla Hervey had 10 for UCF. But um, the Knights, in terms of uh, percentage, boy, did they struggle uh, in this match. Uh, and uh, and 157 UCF hit for the game, for the entire match, where Tulane hit almost 300, 282. And if you're looking for an indicator, think of it just like baseball, pretty much. Uh, so that's where UCF finds themselves now at this point, where they, you know they, they get that split basically on what was supposed to be a home weekend. Now you go on the road for two difficult matches in the uh, 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 a thousand miles away up in the Northeast, uh, making the Yukon Temple trip. So um, you know what's the situation here for UCF volleyball, Eric? Do you think that uh, if they can get this done, if you ask me? Um, this is a, it, this could be a huge coup for Coach Dagenet with UConn and Temple if they can win one, or I think even possibility of even getting both of them. Don't you think? Well, here let, let's address it first. First of all, remember, let's keep reminding everybody because there is no conference tournament in the American Conference. The regular season champion gets the automatic bid. Right. So if you win the regular season title, it doesn't matter what your RPI is, you get in. All right. So I think that's the important thing. That's what Todd thing. wants to do. <laughs> Correct. And that's the most important thing to remember. And certainly, I think, uh, Jeff, uh, with that Tulane loss, I mean, if you look at this conference right now, it's it, I, I picked Cincinnati before the year started to win this league. Uh, I think they got the best player in the league, Jordan Thompson. And I think they're going to end up winning this. But that being said, here's the good news for UCF. You mentioned let, let break, let's break down the RPI teams again. Okay, because you mentioned first bring up Temple. Tell the audience the Temple RPI since you had the RPI right in front of you. What number Temple's RPI? Temple right now is at 48. By the way, Temple also in the I should bring up the American standings. By the way, they're five and one in the conference. SMU actually leads the conference at six and one, followed by Temple and Cincinnati at five and one. And UCF is in a three way tie with UConn and Tulane at four and two. Still in the mix. So let's right. just that they're right in the mix. That UCF did lose at Cincinnati. Uh, that was the tough match for them. But that's why that Temple match, I highlight that because that's a great RPI. 40, if you're in the 30s, and we'll get into this with women's soccer, if you're in the 30s in RPI, most of the time you're a lock to make the NCAA tournament, assuming you have a high winning record and all that. Uh, where it gets dicey is if you're in the 50s, 60s. And, and, and Todd, I've talked to Todd, and you've talked to Todd about this in the past. In volleyball, has this maybe a bigger issue than the other sports in that 
a lot of times the committee favors the power five uh, as oh, far as yeah, at largest, way more than even the other sports. And I know that's been frustrating uh, for Todd and, and for, for other schools that are not in the power five, that the volleyball is very too much on the side of the power five. So they, they have an uphill battle to begin with. I mean, I think the American there's been years, I think uh, even a couple years ago where I know Todd felt they should have had a multiple bid league and they didn't, they got, uh, they've been stuck at that one bid deal. So you, you have all those politics going on. Uh, the temple match is huge. Because you're on the road. And, and for people, I don't want to bore people with the formula of the RPI. But you basically get rewarded more for winning on neutral courts and on the road. And especially if you get top 50 wins against teams in the top 50. Uh, I think Temple's huge. I mean, Temple's a very good team. Uh, they play Temple twice, including here at the venue, November 18th, a match that will be televised in the American Digital Network, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just going to plug that out because I will be involved in that telecast with former Unite Aaron Campbell, who we're going to try and get on this podcast. But these are the matches that will determine, I think, not only the regular season title chances for UCF, but improving their position as far as maybe getting in as an at-large team. You look at Temple. You look at Cincinnati. UCF gets to host Cincinnati later in the season. Those are the matches to kind of circle as opportunity games there, uh, uh, Jeff. Break down the rest of the – once again – for, for those that may have missed it, the RPI's breakdown of each of the teams. All right, so right now for in the teams in the American, the highest-ranked team in the RPI, Temple at 48, so they're top 50. And C- they play them twice. Yep. They play them twice in the C- schedule. Cincinnati, who UCF has already lost to, is at 49. At Cincinnati, they do get to host Cincinnati later this season. Right. 55 SMU. and then they fi- still, yeah. yeah, and then Tulsa's at 57. UConn's at 65, and then you go down a little bit further. Tulane, who just beat UCF uh, at the venue, is 78th, followed by UCF at 80. The beauty of the volleyball schedule is you play everybody home and home. Right. Uh, and I think if you're da- the, the exciting thing from UCF standpoint, you kind of control your own destiny in a way. The teams that are in front of you, you still get a chance to play them, and you're still playing a lot of quality teams in the RPI that you just mentioned on the schedule. So UCF, if they can get those wins, will move up on the RPI and improve their chances. And so, you know, that's the bottom line in this, in the, in the business. So, uh, you know, I think that's why I would say, you know, and you, I know you were there in the Tulane match. I think that's why Todd was disappointed with the Tulane match performance after winning against Houston in, 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 in a, in a neutral quote field court in Tampa, where you had to move things and the players adjusted. That's a, you know, I think he want, I think Todd knows this league is so good that you have to almost protect your home court and win. I would say just about every match at home, maybe only drop one or two and then steal some road matches. Cause this league is very balanced where a few swings can make the difference. So I think that's why, uh, Jeff, he might have been a, a disappointed, obviously, with the the result and the performance against Tulane because he didn't. I don't think he probably didn't feel his team gave themselves their best chance. Yeah, here's Todd talking about that right here. Looking back on the weekend, we did play well. Um, fortunately, we were able to still take one of the matches. Um, I don't know um, that we were going to beat Tulane on Sunday, even if we had played. A little bit better. I thought they were outstanding. And um, nonetheless, we'll get a second shot at them. 
And if you look at SMU now losing, we're, we're still just one game out of first place. So there's a lot to get better at. There's a lot to play for. There's still a lot of season to go. And all of our goals are still within reach of what we're trying to accomplish as long as we're real with ourselves and we buckle down and, and we, we continue to work to be the team that we want to be. Yeah, I can't blame him. Uh, you know, I personally thought that I thought, you know, that Tulane was, you know, extremely good. They played out of their minds in that, in that match at the venue. Um, but you're right. I didn't think that UCF gave him the best match that they could have. So, but you get a chance to redeem yourself uh, with the game, with the matches at Temple and UConn. It starts with UConn Friday at four uh, in stores and then at Temple in Philly on Sunday at one. You can follow uh, and actually watch both of those matches uh, via UCFnights.com. Uh, All right, let's talk soccer. And we'll start with the women's team who uh, they have a result from, ten- uh, from t- we're recording this on a Thursday night, Eric, and they have a result from tonight, right? Yeah, they went up to stores to pick on UConn. Big match in the conference. UConn, a uh, team that is the defending, uh, re- you know, champions in the regular season. One of the, in my opinion, maybe the best team in the conference. Uh, unfortunately, it was a rough night for the Knights, dropping a three nothing decision to UConn. Kind of a tough stretch for UCF after playing USF to a draw last week in Tampa. I mean, to me, you go into this if you take UCF out of the equation, USF and Connecticut were the top two teams that UCF had to you know, target. Mm-hmm. And the way the schedule broke out this year, UCF had to travel to both places. So tough, tough ask and, and just no, just t- couldn't get things going for them. They fell behind early, and then they were trying to counter, and UConn took advantage. So, I mean, UConn's very good, so give them the credit. But uh, tough loss for Coach Sahadak in the Knights, and uh, you know, that's their second conference loss with a draw to USF. They lost a match earlier uh, this season at home against a team that's kind of surprised a bunch of people in the conference, SMU. And so, you know, the good news is for UCF now, you look at the RPI. Yeah. They have a 35 RPI coming into this week. And that's not going to be hurt by playing the UConn team. But it's in, UCF's going to have to get some wins and finish strong here in the second half of the season. I mean, you look at this stretch now. Now that you're past the UConn game, they got to go to Temple, ironically, on uh, Sunday the 16th, just like volleyball. They got to go to Temple. Then they host Cincinnati. They host East Carolina. So that's an important home stretch. Last two home matches, by the way, believe it or not. As hard Already. as that to be. Yeah, on the 20th and the 23rd. So if you haven't gone out there yet, and when I say haven't gone out there yet, I, I'm talking, well, myself and you, Jeffrey. Okay, I, I'm I, <laughs> we guilty as charged. We may have to make some adjustments because they, they got Cincinnati on Thursday, the 20th, and then East Carolina, home last home regular season match on Sunday, the 23rd. After that, they go to Tulsa and they go to Memphis to finish the regular season. And I reason I circled that match. For anybody that's followed UCF women's soccer for a long time, knows the rivalry that it has with Memphis going back to Conference USA. Uh-huh. And, the, and, and it just seemed like they always played against each other in Conference USA championship games. And you look at the way the RPI is shaping out. Memphis, 39 RPI as we recorded this. That is a pivotal match for UCF. I think – they need to get some wins there and, and so they can feel comfortably into the tournament. Otherwise, they may have some work to do come the conference tournament and so forth. So, um, you know, that's the key. And, you know, I think the thing that's 
got to be frustrating for Coach Sahadek. You know, the, this has not been your typical defensive dominant UCF defense uh, that they've had in the last few years, and in particular in her in 2014 when they won the conference regular season uh, and tournament title. They haven't been dominant defensively. They've been in the back line. They've given up some chances and given up some goals on, on blown coverage, and that's kind of been their bugaboo when they've lost the matches. But a credit to Coach Sahadek, the reason why their RPI is so high, Jeff, and you and she said it on this podcast, that strength of schedule, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's why you play those tough matches is because you give yourself an opportunity if things don't work out in the conference to still get yourself in as an at-large. And I think that's the big factor. For example, UCF played South Carolina this year. South Carolina is number three in the RPI. They're still undefeated, by the way, the, right. the, this season. Florida. They went to Florida. The Gators are 13 in the RPI. North Carolina, 11 in the RPI. I mean, that's three teams right there. UConn, to who we talked about, 18, 18 in the RPI. Yep. Florida State's um, 24th. Correct. The defense, I mean, they're one of the, you know, that it just, I mean, we could just keep going. I mean, SMU, 30. I mean, that's in the conference. It's a good year for the league. You, could, you could almost argue with the, the way the non conference matches, um, panned out the way the non-conference opponents panned out that UCF has actually had bad luck with where those teams have ended up in the RPI because UCF right now six five and one on the season they have four points in the standings to put that into perspective SMU has 13 points in the standings the Knights are currently sixth in the conference and yet there they are at 35 in the RPI because of who they've played so far they are, and so it, they got some work to do, uh, and this will be an important stretch for them. And they know, and they know they got to get some wins. You're not going to backdoor into the NCAA tournament. Uh, they know what's at stake, and you know I, I'll be interested to see how they bounce back after the tough loss against UConn. Uh, they go to Temple, they host Cincinnati, host East Carolina at Tulsa. Get some wins and get some confidence going into the conference tournament. Which obviously is, uh, you know, the quarterfinals and they'll have the semis and the championship. And uh, that's, I think, the goal for Coach Sahadek at this point. I'm not sure they're going to be able to win the regular season title at this point, not with the loss to UConn. I think you have the standings in front of you. So do you not? Uh, yeah, UConn right now, like I said, SMU tops at 13 points. Uh, UConn 3 0 1 in the league, so that adds up to 10. Memphis and Tulsa at 9, USF 7, UCF 4. Temple, not very good. 0-5 in the league right now, 3-12 and overall. Their RPI is all the way down to the 280s. So even if UCF racked up all kinds of goals on them, it still wouldn't help them overly much, uh, no. although you're still playing them on the road. And that's, you know, anytime you have to go on the road, that's not going to be easy. So the key, like you said, Eric, Cincinnati coming up and East Carolina. Well, East Carolina is actually not very good. They're winless in the conference as well. Got to beat Cincinnati because you should be above them in the standings any, anyway. And then those two critical road matches, like you said, at Tulsa, at Memphis, uh, who are currently at four and three in the standings. You can start to claw back some points because remember, they go through the points system just like in the English Premier League, where you get three points for a win, one point for a draw. You can start to yeah. claw some points back as you hit the soft part, the softer part of the schedule. And then if you can get to that, those last two matches against Memphis and Tulsa, uh, and if, you, and if perchance, you can get two road wins there against two pretty tough opponents, 
that might set UCF up pretty good. I don't know. And then you're kind of waiting for kind of SMU and UConn to stumble a little bit, aren't you? You hope. Uh, and again, keep in mind, UCF schedule has been front loaded. Yes. I mean, if you look at their schedule conference wise in the first four games, they played South Florida. They played UConn and SMU, which right now might be the three best teams in the league. I mean, SMU is the surprise of the league. They beat South Florida and Tampa. They beat UCF and Orlando. Credit to them. And then UConn, they're the defending champs. I thought they were the best team going into the year. And South Florida has been a top 25 team. So this schedule is front loaded. So while that sounds really bad that UCF only has four points, they've only played those four matches. That's why I'm saying now this second half of the year, it's about racking up those points, moving up in the standings because you want to put yourself in a situation where maybe you could host a quarterfinal game. I believe that the uh, the way they set it up now is the quarterfinals, the host team, the team with the higher seed will host the quarterfinal game. Uh, and then you get to if you get to the semifinals and then the final, I believe they will be held at the place of the uh, regular season champion. Don't quote me on that. I, they've changed rules the last few years when it comes to the postseason as far as their conference tournament format. Uh, but so that's important. And look, if you UCF, I think if you could finish uh, top four in this conference and then make a run in the post in the conference tournament. Uh, they'll be fine to get into the NCAA tournament te- if they don't win the tournament. And keep in mind, I would expect Florida and probably Florida State both to host in soccer tournaments. And I've said this when it comes to baseball and softball. You know, if there's two teams in your state that's hosting, odds are you're going to be placed in that kind of formula. Now, in soccer, what I like they do is usually the team that's the higher seed in the first round hosts the game. Then they travel to that location for the second and third round. So, for example, last year, UCF played William and Mary here as a home game in the opening round of the tournament. And had they won, they would have traveled to Florida in the second round uh, and possibly play then play Florida. And then uh, instead of what they've done in the past, which is you play in Gainesville the first round and second round. So it's long ways to go, but. I think Coach Sahedic, they this is a very important stretch now. They gotta, and I think they gotta fine tune that back line. They gotta find a way defensively. They're giving up too many breakaways, goals that, and, and, and goals in tough spots. That's been their kind of bugaboo this season. Yeah, and, and but if any team can pull it off, they can. Now, speaking of teams that can still pull it off, let's talk men's soccer for a second. RPI came out there at 146. Obviously not where you want to be. 3-6 and six overall, 0-3 oh on the road. Um, we've talked about the schedule problems that they've had with two matches being canceled. But got the win last Wednesday at home against Northwestern, one to nothing. All right. Now, where's Northwestern? The RPI, about 150. Not all that great, but still getting a win over a Big Ten team. That's going to help. They lost 3-2. to two. At Memphis. So now looking back on it, they've lost. They, they've they each of their three conference matches so far have been one goal matches. One loss to USF, one loss to Memphis, one win against SMU. The way the reason why the schedule is so screwy this year, uh, well, really every year when you think about it, is because there's obviously there's only eight teams in the American in men's soccer. So you're only playing seven conference matches. UCF, even at one and two with three points in the standings is still within striking distance of the lead, believe it or not. Because UConn right now at 3-0, and they're at 9. But then behind them is USF and Cincinnati at 6. Basically, one victory ahead of UCF, who's tied with Tulsa at 3. Memphis and Temple, by the way, 1-1-1. One, one, one. They each have four points in conference play. So, 
despite everything that's happened, here's what UCF has coming up. And they kind of split things a little bit in the non-conference schedule, too, as you get down the way. But you're at Tulsa, okay? Tulsa right now in the uh, men's soccer standings, they're tied with UCF. They have a little bit of advantage, obviously, being this game being on the road. But if you can get a road win, hey, bully for you. You're in good shape. You get that extra three points in the standings. At Stetson, basically a home game. Uh, home for UConn. This is key. Because UConn is, gonna, is right now leading in the standings. Uh, that's an October 22nd uh, match. Obviously, the, the Tulsa match this Saturday, October 15th, on the road. But their next home game, October 22nd against UConn, that's going to be huge. And it's going to be on UCFnights.tv. And they can put a dent into UConn's lead a little bit if they can get through Tulsa and get the win. And then after that, you're at Temple and then home for Cincinnati to wrap up the season. So... It actually works out in head coach Brian Cunningham's favor a little bit because you're not out of the woods. You've lost two of your first three conference matches by one goal, but you're right there. The conference crown could be there for the taking if you get hot. But that's the thing. You got to get hot, right? That's the key. It's all in front of you. You know, I think that's the point you're making. It's all in front of you. Something to keep in mind. Top four teams in the conference advance to the conference tournament. A little different than the women. The women, right. the top six, make the conference tournament. Uh, two for, obviously, the top the, two get a bye. Correct. Uh, the number one seed, whoever wins the regular season, will host the conference tournament. By the way, uh, as well, uh, and certainly that will be. Uh, so that's why you do, we don't know where the conference tournament will be held. That same thing with the women. By the way, it's. The top seed will host the conference tournament. So six teams in the women for the men. But like you said, it's in front of you. And if you're Brian Cunningham at UCF, that's the message to the players. That's You control where your destiny is. And if you take care of business in conference, you're going to put yourself in that position uh, to compete for the regular season title. And if you were to win the regular season title, guess what? You get to host the conference tournament in your backyard with a chance to advance to the NCAA tournament. That's the goal. If they can get that road win at Tulsa, and I know that's a big ask because you're traveling all that way. And Tulsa right now sitting at uh, six four and two overall. UCF at three and six, but both teams are still one and two in the league. If you can knock off Tulsa, you're in the catbird seat to try to to get into that conference tournament if you can hold serve. Because I know they got UConn coming up next. Yeah, but that's a home game. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be. Uh, and then you got Temple and Cincinnati who are. Uh, you got th- three matches left in the regular season against three of the top teams in the conference. So yeah, it's going to be tough, but you got a shot if you can get if you can get the breaks. So far, they just haven't gotten the breaks, losing one goal matches. But um, they may have a shot here uh, coming through. All right, so there we have it: men's soccer, women's soccer, volleyball. Keep an eye on the RPIs. If you go to, uh, by the way, go where I go, which is NCAA.com. Click on the individual sports, and you can pull up the RPIs in there and see where UCF is going. Uh, all right. So real quick, Eric, before we wrap up here, let's take a look at uh, what we have going on this week. And obviously football. What are you looking forward to the most from this uh, from this uh, as we wrap up this weekend? I, I know what I'm looking forward to is the Better Than Ezra concert. <laughs> because <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You're really excited about this, huh? I, I know. I, I, listen, I got to give credit. To the guys at UCF who've been doing the booking for these concerts, um, I, I, I think somebody's going to e- have to email me and correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Jimmy Skiles, who we know from our days in college. 
uh, who's been working on this for UCF. And, um, and, and he's got a bunch of staff with him as well, done a great job. Michael Garcia, all the guys over there at marketing who've done um, – I, I just love the fact that uh, Danny White has just taken the he's, – he's taken the reins off of them and just said, go do things you always wanted to do. And so far it's been working. So I'm looking forward to the concert. I'm looking forward to our only home football game in the month of October uh, uh, against Temple. I think it should. I think it should be a good time, and I th- and I hope that we put on a good show for the folks who'll be watching on TV too, because um, the word is starting to get around that um, UCF's program has been rehabilitated under Scott Frost, and that's starting to make me a little ner- and, and maybe we'll end up talking up about this. That's starting to make me a little bit nervous. Oh boy, because. <laughs> I mean, we knew we knew this was going to happen, right? If the if the if the season played out the way it might, we knew this was going to happen because you've got Notre Dame under fire uh, or Chip uh, Chip Kelly, Brian Kelly under fire at Notre Dame. Charlie Strong is under severe fire at Texas. In fact, I think he's out after the season's over. Um. What else do we have going? There are, there are going to be a couple other Oregon, Oregon, Oregon. Yeah, that's I, how can I? Boy, how can I miss that one? Oregon, who gave us Scott Frost to begin with, Mark Helfrich is in, is going to be in trouble out there unless he can turn things around quickly. Um, sh- should I be nervous? No, or, or I am I just a nervous I, Nelly over here? Well, you're a nervous Nelly in general. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not in the camp that believes that Scott Frost could go to Oregon. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Tom uh, Herman might? No, I think Tom Herman's going to Texas. If he's going to leave, I think he's going to Texas. I think he, remember, he was a grad assistant, Tom Herman, under Mac Brown at Texas. Uh, he's already in that state of Texas. He's recruiting in that area of Texas. With the uncertainty of the Big 12, which, by the way, next week, look for an announcement where they're probably going to announce that they're not going to do anything. Right. That's <laughs> going to be Monday, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. Right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So, I, I you know, we, we just waste just you know, in that's time all for us to blab about it. Yeah. Waste more time on that. Not, you know, needless topic. I'm sure we'll get into it more next week. But uh, I think Tom Herman will end up at Texas if he leaves. Uh, I think Oregon has been the, the, the situation that's been connected to Scott Frost because of his relationship with Phil Knight of Nike, who obviously is a huge Oregon booster and obviously has provided all the Nike gear for Oregon and UCF for that matter. Uh, but I think what's going to happen is I think if Helfrich's gone, I think the first phone call is going to go to Chip Kelly and say, do you really want to stay in the NFL and coach Chip, you know, Colin Kaepernick and Blaine Gabbert when you can come back home to Oregon and, and coach whoever you want? And you really you know, think, so though, I, that he would that he would bail on the NFL? I mean, he just took that if he's job smart, in San Francisco. If he swallows if he swallows his ego, he sh- is smart. Yeah, because I think he belongs in college. I don't I've never believed that the spread would work in the NFL. And I think he's being stubborn. He go back to college and be successful. Kind of like what Pete Carroll did. Remember, Pete Carroll was kind of eh, in New England. Took and the, the US, Jets yeah, and the Jets. Great point. Thank you. And he you know, it was kind of mediocre. He was average. Nothing special. He went to USC, built a dynasty there, and guess what happened? A better NFL opportunity came up with Seattle where he had some control with personnel, and look how he's successful in the NFL. I think Chip Kelly could do the same exact thing. Get yourself out of that mess in San Francisco. Go back to Oregon or in college football. I'm I'm not even going to exclusively say Oregon. He could get one of the other jobs. You never know. Uh, And win in college. That's where I think he fits. 
but anyway, so that's what I would go with that. So that's why I think he'll be the first choice. Uh, I don't know if Scott Frost would go back to Oregon. First of all, I don't know if they would, he would, where he would fall on the list. Uh, cause he was just there. He was just there. It's not like he was there three, four years ago and then left. He was just there. And I don't know if, I think usually what happens in these situations, if things aren't working, schools and fans want to go in a different direction. They don't want to just go ahead. Hey, we just got rid of Helfrick. Let's let's just go get his former offensive coordinator. I I just don't buy it. Now, that being said, let's say UCF went on a run this year, goes nine and three, ten and two, and they were winning the division. Then you might have cause for concern with Oregon. The job that I've always been concerned with, and I think a lot of people have been concerned with, is the Nebraska job being yeah. oh, coming up. That's where I think everybody would expect him to go back there. But guess what? Nebraska quietly <laughs> is having a good year. I was just so going to say, right now, Nebraska 5-0. and oh. Now, yeah. they still have at Wisconsin, at Ohio State left on the schedule. But... Yeah. Mike Riley's done a really good job at Nebraska Correct. for for all the flack that they took for hiring him away from Oregon State. Where, by the way, I think he's the winningest head coach at Oregon State. For all the flack that they took, saying this is like a square peg in a round hole, Mike Riley is a hell of a college football coach, and he's done a very good job at Nebraska. One of the teams they beat, by the way, Oregon. So, correct. Um, I mean, the- they they've gotten off to a pretty good start. Granted, this first two games in the Big Ten schedule a little soft, but they got uh, they got Indiana this week, they got Purdue, and then we'll see if they're really made. We'll see what they're really made of uh, October 29th and November fifth when they're at Wisconsin at Ohio State, right? Correct. Correct. Um, so yeah, I mean that I don't see that exp- situation opening up. So I, I think Scott Frost wants to coach this year, and I think he wants to coach next year. I think he and here's the thing. Just like Tom Herman, if he wins this year and he wins, you know, the opportunities aren't going to close. He could stay here, win next year, and more opportunities will present itself. I don't think it's an it's a now do or die situation. I mean, a lot of people thought that about Tom Herman last year. Oh, he's going to bail. He can't, you know, have to go into the winning the <laughs> conference and go into Atlanta and beating Florida State. He turned down South Carolina. What what is he? You know, guess what? He came back to Houston. And yeah, they lost the game to Navy. He's still going to be the hottest name come this offseason. He's going to have Texas and LSU and probably Oregon go after him. So I think Scott Frost will take a page of that. And I think he'll say, you know what? I don't need to leave right now. I still got things I want to accomplish here in this state uh, with with an athletic director that gave me my opportunity, by the way. And I think he knows, hey, if I win here, I'll I'll get all the opportunities I want whether it be here or elsewhere in the future. So I, I'm not – I don't believe that he will uh, jump ship, but, you know, never know in this industry. Yeah, and by the way – And by the miss- way, it's a good problem to have. If, if people want your coach, that means things are going well. Let's just throw that out there. If t- people were not talking about Scott Frost as a potential coaching candidate elsewhere, that probably means things are not going well. So that's a good problem to have. And I think UCF fans have to accept this, that the George O'Leary situation where he coached here for a decade is the exception to right. the rule. The job at UCF, I think, is more of a job that coaches will coach here a while and then go to a next school uh, bigger school. I think the model that UCF was going to have to follow in the eventually 
is kind of what Houston has had to do. Houston's had to go through a bunch of successful coaches. They had Art Bryles there. They had Kevin Sumlin. Now they have Tom Herman. Odds are they're going to have to replace Tom Herman. So I think that's more of the norm. So I think for UCF, and the good news is Scott Frost, whenever, if he does leave, whenever that is, if he does, odds are will probably leave this place a better job than it was when he took over, which means you're going to attract a lot of got people to this job. So I think UCF is going to be fine either way. Yeah, I agree with you thinking about like, you know, UCF kind of following the Houston model where yeah. they, all those guys have kind of come from the same sort of family of coaching. So if UCF can can keep that that pipeline going, I think that that's it would be nice to see if if we're not going to see a guy like Scott Frost just just bury himself at, in the in the coach's office at the Wayne Dench Center, then be a cradle of coaches to take advantage of the recruit, the fertile recruiting ground down here and, and put in the Oregon spread offense and show that it, that it exports to the East coast. By the way, one last thing I wanted to uh, dive in on, you mentioned the big 12, uh, maybe, or maybe not. We'll get an end to this thing, but the uh, writers at the Dallas morning news, um, who that Chuck Carlton, by the way, the Dallas morning news has been all over the story as has, uh, Brett McMurphy at ESPN and kudos to those guys. Um, they asked around all the Dallas Morning News staff, what do they think will happen? And what, what, what do they think should happen? What do they think will happen? Um, you got all kinds of stuff. Like Kevin Sherrington was saying, you know, he'd like to see the Big 12 add Florida State and Clemson, but that ain't happening. So, <laughs> so, so he, that, that statement right there tells you why the Big 12 is yeah. where they're at. So, so, so what, he thinks, what he thinks will happen is the Big 12 remains at 10. And pretty much everyone's saying that Tim Kalashaw says they'll stay at 10. Uh, Rick Goslin says they'll stay at 10. Chuck Carlton, who I mentioned before. Um, is this true? Yeah. Okay. He's not the only guy. Um, he and Bill Nichols both said that they think the Big 12 will expand. Carlton said that he would like to see the Big 12 add Houston and Cincinnati as full members, but what he thinks will happen is in an 11th hour compromise, the Big 12 adds Houston and BYU as football only members. Bill Nichols, Dallas Morning News, says he would like to see the Big 12 add four Houston, SMU, Cincinnati, and Memphis. But what he thinks they will add is two, Houston and Cincinnati. Now, I've said before, I think that the Big 12 should add four. I think they should add Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, and USF. I don't think they'll add any. Um, It's interesting to see Chuck Carlton float that football-only member thing, which I think is just a terrible idea. And if you think it – and if you think – it's not a bad idea. Well, go ask the Big East how it worked out. Exactly. Um, it's a Band-Aid on a situation that needs yeah. more than a Band-Aid. And, 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 it's, and I still think it's likely that the Big 12 ends up imploding more than likely. But um, our last chance to do this before next Monday when we actually maybe, – maybe, maybe right. we'll get an announcement. Maybe we won't. What do you think should happen? What do you think will happen? Wow. I think they're going to delay the vote. I don't think I don't think we're going to be done with this. Uh, this Wait, week. is that I what you'd like to happen, or is that what you think will happen? I think that's what's going to happen. Okay. What, so what no like, vote. They're going to stand pat. They're going to stay pat, and they're you know they're going to make up some excuse and whatever. 
Uh, I don't think they'll close the door. I think the issue is they just right now, they can't agree on anybody to get enough votes for a specific team. Everybody's got their own agendas. What I would like to see, yeah, I think the Big 12 should expand. I think they should expand with Houston and UCF, who bring, a, I think, a lot to the table. Cincinnati, I, I agree with that. You know, and the fourth one, you could go USF because of what I've talked about, travel partner situations. Look what happened. Okay, for those people that don't think traveling partners matter, look what just happened this past weekend in volleyball. Yes, thank UCF you. UCF and USF. That doesn't happen if it's UCF and Connecticut in the conference. Can you imagine if that scenario happens and you don't have travel partners? You would not be able to pull off what they did. Uh, but because you did, UCF and USF were able to work together and it makes it easier to travel. Tulane could play at USF and then play at UCF. Same thing could happen in the Big 12. So that's why for people that kind of scoff at, well, with travel partner, it doesn't matter, football, that you just saw an example of why that is important, especially for the non-football sports, for every other sport. And that's why the full membership thing is interesting. And that's why – now, I do agree. If BYU is ever going to get in, I think it's going to be football only. So it wouldn't shock me if BYU got in as football only because I think I don't think it's an accident that David Bourne in Oklahoma has all of a sudden cooled off on the expansion idea as soon as BYU sort of became a cool uh, idea of BYU and the Big 12 cooled off. So uh, that wouldn't surprise me. But, you know, look, these people are unpredictable. I, I don't I think they're unstable. I think they're delusional. I've and, and I've always said I don't think this is an open process. I think each institution has their specific teams that they want. And they're going to hold to that. And if they get their way, they'll do it. And if they don't, they won't. And I do agree with you. I think the Big 12 would implode in about eight years. And by the way, whoever, if they ever do expand, the team that's going to get in as an expansion team will not make more money in the Big 12 than people think. I think they're going to make similar money than they do now in their current conference. So uh, I, I think this is all what it is. But unfortunately, as much as I would like this story to go away once and for all, and they just make it, and I would love them to announce one way or the other saying, yes, we're going to expand or no, we're never going to expand. And that's it. We move on. But I feel like they're going to make some sort of benign statement that says they'll look at this down the road and we'll just continue to yap about this forever. And that sounds like a good place to leave it. All right, so we'll be back again next week. Uh, what's going on with you this week, Eric? What is going on with me? Uh, well, I'll be doing a little tucking on producing. Obviously, I'll be hosting the Football Insider Show Monday nights from Harry Buffalo, downtown Orlando. By you the were way, recent curses, curses on Hurricane Matthew, which squashed my chance to co-host the show, the Tucker yes. O'Neill show this past week. I hope I get another chance to do it, but uh, but I wanted to thank <laughs> you and the guys for at least nope. reaching out and being like and and and, and providing the opportunity. We'll make it work another time. Correct. Absolutely. And but you were on the Football Insider show by yes. like this past Monday. So lamenting the Giants. Correct. And talking about the conference. But uh, yeah, so we'll be doing that this week, uh, among other things. And obviously, I'll be at the UCF Temple game. Looking forward to that game. And I guess I'll check out better than Ezra. Are you going to are you going to stick? You're going to go to better better for than Ezra. I'm 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 tr I'm I'm really trying hard. I really want to come to this game. It, it, it's it's hard. It's hard when you got the toddler, right? Because yeah. it's a nighttime game, and you know, and I want to stay when I go to the game. I want to stay the whole game, right. you know. And his bedtime is usually around eight o'clock. All right, you know, maybe we'll, I don't know. Maybe we'll get a babysitter. I don't know. So I'm still up in the air at this point as to whether or not I'm going to be able to go. There. I really do want to go to the game, though. 
So uh, what I'm hoping for, you know what I'm really hoping for is some of these is during that three game stretch, we get a couple of afternoon starts. There, oh, I, yeah, when the I, weather I, gets nice, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I think you'll you'll get your way on that. That's what I don't I'm think there's any. But in the meantime, I'm going to be um, no volleyball this weekend, so I won't be at the venue. Um, but I will be next week when UCF uh, returns home. And, uh, of course, as always, if I'm not at the game, I'm going to be uh, watching closely on TV, as will all of you. So, Eric, once again, thank you, brother. No problem. By the way, yeah. football homecoming game, the homecoming queen will be announced at halftime of the game. Is it always? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us who's one of the nominees. One of the nominees is UCF softball uh, senior shortstop Brittany Solis. I don't know if we've ever had a homecoming queen of a female athlete win it. Definitely not in softball. So we could have a first this weekend. So well, she's throwing that out there. Well, she's got my vote, even though I don't have a vote. So <laughs> I think you can vote online, but I could no, be wrong. You, you can vote online, but you got to be an active UCF student with an active uh, HID. Uh, yeah. So eh, it's too late to enroll in a class to help her out. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. It's a bummer. <laughs> Sorry. Well, hey, listen, good luck, Brittany. We're pulling for you. Hopefully you get the crown on Saturday against Temple. All right. For Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. Once again, don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Facebook and subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Always good talking with you, Eric. Anytime, Jeffrey. Always a blast. All right. Thanks for listening to you at home or in your car or wherever you're listening to your podcast. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.